All great stories have a beginning. If this is your first time joining us, we encourage you to start at episode one. To our returning listeners, welcome back to Sildoom. What you're about to hear, every action and combat is completely improvised. I am your host, Daniel Storm, and you're listening to the RPG Radio Show. I'm Zach McCann, and I play Gavin Rettler. I'm Andy Kanis, and I play Jacob Elias. I'm Luke Hatmaker, and I play Maze Tunnock. I'm Ben Sonic, and I play Dimitri Whisperoak. Previously on the RPG Radio Show. After a dangerous journey south on the Beacons Highway, our band of adventurers enjoys the relative safety of Bon Coulier. On the southern road, they faced bandits, a vicious creature from the wild, and a Grey Dawn ambush. The party split up upon arriving at the Dwarven stronghold. Maze and Gavin found themselves trying to find a missing urchin and aiding a couple priests of Hyksnos in the process. Jacob and Dimitri ended up at the Ghastly Eel Tavern, where they traded stories with an old friend of Jacob's, a frogkin named Cain Mistower. After consuming a good amount of ice wine, Dimitri began to tell his story. While some of the details were fuzzy, he spoke at length about his struggle to preserve the wild. He claimed to do so at the bidding of a creature who called itself the Vessel. The antagonist of Dimitri's story, Sovocene, is the being that continues to release dark and vicious creatures from the wild into the material plane. Before dozing off from a belly full of cricket curry and ice wine, Dimitri hinted that he would need the help of his new traveling companions to challenge the growing threat of Sovocene. As the orc bouncer Vergul carried him to a back room with a cot, Dimitri slipped into a deep slumber. We intend to start introducing more interludes. These will be glimpses into the story from other characters' perspectives. Like the prologue and our previous interlude, these are pre-written and recorded. They are meant to deepen the narrative and provide a different perspective for you, our listeners. In order to keep their reactions and choices uninfluenced, our characters will never hear some of these interludes. We ask that you refrain from posting spoilers or engaging with our cast members with information contained within these interludes. Thank you. Interlude Lenriesh Lenriesh crouched at the side of the Beacon's Highway. He breathed shallowly so the stench of the bodies didn't overwhelm him. Seven corpses produced a putrid aroma as they moldered in the ditches alongside the road. One of the bodies lay on the opposite side of the Beacon's Highway, in a hastily built cairn. The man must have been a companion of the victors of this clash, else they would not have shown him such respect. That body didn't concern him. It was the row of the defeated that held his answers. Even in decay, these bodies spoke to him. Even death could not stop Hyksnos from illuminating the path to truth. His directive from Lord Brilliant Akadim Kuldir could not have been clearer. Root out the Grey Dawn presence in and around Bon Kuldir. Lenriesh's investigation had taken him north of the city, along the Beacon's Highway, where reports of Grey Cloak activity proliferated in recent days. Recalling himself to his task, he quieted his mind, separating each one of his heightened senses from the others. A breeze from the northwest ruffled his linen tunic. As it eddied around him, he could feel a bead of sweat that rolled down the back of his neck and soaked into the soft fabric. He identified the calls of 13 different species of birds and no less than 22 species of insects in the cacophony of the singing wood. 
Sunlarks, spotted warblers, and carrion flies all vied for his attention, but he shut them out, one by one. Compartmentalizing the unique bouquet of each creature's rotting flesh, Lenriesh focused on the scents that would be undetectable to all but a fellow inquisitor. The scents lay waiting beneath those of blood, unwashed bodies, and burned flesh. He smelled white crest oil, rusted iron, and iris root. The white crest oil was just going rancid. He knew the smell of it well. It was what the Empire's soldiers used to keep the elements from rusting their armor. The oil was produced in lampstead from rendered white crest blubber. If the oil wasn't removed and reapplied every ten day, it started to stink. Judging by the smell, this armor was most likely maintained 20 to 25 days previously. This timeline corresponded with the report he had seen of two soldiers on highway patrol misplacing their uniforms 23 days ago. He made a mental note to have those soldiers held at their next depot station for further questioning. He moved his head closer, inches above the bodies. The scent of rusted iron was faint, but it clung to the skin of the two orcs and the Kenku. Lenriash stood as the eddying breeze brought a stronger whiff of rust from further south. He moved in that direction, using the end of his sheathed sword, sweeping it in wide arcs through the long grass along the edge of the road. After a few moments, he stopped, stooped, and picked up a rusted length of chain, feeling along it to several manacles. With an effort and the shriek of metal, he managed to close one of the manacles, frowning as it failed to latch shut. Running his fingers along the pitted surface, Lenriash found a rough hole where the locking mechanism should be. Leaving the rusted chain where it lay, Lenriash returned to the row of bodies. Pushing every other scent and sensation from his mind, he focused his attention on the iris root. It only came from one of the bodies, and even then, the scent had almost faded completely. Beneath the scent of singed wool, stale tobacco, and dried blood, Beneath the stench of a body that seemed to decay twice as fast as most around it, the iris root clung to the singed wool. The cloak betrayed its wearer. Without being able to see the color, Lenriesh knew that the cloak was gray, just as all iris root dyed cloaks were. Seventeen different varieties of iris grew in Sildum. Each variety, Snow Petal, Vosanis Blue, Golden Banner, and others all produced wildly different colored petals. These petals were often used in fabric dyes. The root of each variety, however, produced a nearly uniform gray dye. While Lenriesh or any of the other Inquisitors could not see the color of the cloaks, the scent of the iris root dye was a telling indicator of the cloak's origin and its wearer's length of time in the organization. This particular cloak was dyed with the root of a flower called Beacon's Bosom. It grew in the plains that bordered Hartlepool to the south. The scent of the dye was faint, far fainter than the scent on the cloaks of the orcs he put to the question two days earlier. The two Grey Dawn members had been most forthcoming after Lenriesh provided the appropriate leverage. They were largely incoherent through their shrieks of pain, but they did both mention a dagger that all Grey Dawn in the region were supposed to seek out and return at all cost. He had no doubt that each of the bodies arrayed in the ditch before him were also Grey Dawn members. 
All but the one on the end seemed to be in disguise. A cowardly but effective tactic often used by the Grey Cloaks. They would pretend to be slaves, or dress as Empire soldiers with stolen or looted uniforms. They would lure unwitting travelers and even actual Empire soldiers into deadly ambushes. This ambush, however, seemed to have ended poorly for the Grey Cloaks. His sensory inspection of the scene still not complete, he attenuated all but his sense of touch, feeling the finely woven tunic tug at the small hairs of his arm as he reached out to touch the man in the gray cloak from Hartlepool. Lifting the body slightly, Lenriesh felt at several wounds in the man's back. They were deep puncture wounds, likely from a dagger with a blade about a hand's length and a width of about two fingers. He could feel the residual magic coming off the body in waves. Perhaps wounds inflicted by the dagger caused the bodies to decay faster. The urge to use his sight was almost overwhelming, the urge to be filled with the light of Hyksnos. But no. He knew other Inquisitors who never closed their eyes, Inquisitors who stared out unblinking behind their telev, the scarf tied around their eyes to maintain their holiness amidst the unclean. He understood why some never stopped using the power. The rush of euphoria at seeing with the eyes of the Radiant One herself was intoxicating. But Lenriesh believed that reliance on Radiant Sight weakened the other Inquisitors, made them soft. That euphoria clouded reason. The others often neglected the heightened senses that came along with Radiant Sight, and what those senses could tell them. He used the sight to confirm or alter his reasoning not to define it. He continued his inspection of the bodies, noting key injuries and estimating the instruments that caused them. Several seemed to bear long, shredded gashes. The wounds were oddly consistent with wounds he had found on slaughtered bandits further north on the Beacons Highway. The blade with the familiar wounding pattern must have been at least five feet in length. One or both of its edges may have been adorned with serrations, to cause such uneven gashes. He was certain that the blade used against the bandits and these Grey Dawn members was wielded by the same man. Lenriesh deduced that the wielder was tall from the angle of the cuts. The sword-bearer must also be of considerable strength to wield a blade that would produce such deep and vicious wounds. If only he could have spoken to the townsfolk of Wildspring. Perhaps they could have illuminated what he had thus far been unable to deduce. A man bearing this sword must have passed through the town, and a man bearing such a weapon would be remembered and talked about for seasons to come in a town that small. He mulled over these thoughts, all while examining the other bodies. Three of them, a human, a half-elf, and a kenku, had injuries that he believed were inflicted by the same dagger. The half-elf wore the gray cloak, the kenku's throat had been slit, and the bird showed no signs of defensive wounds. Interestingly, the human appeared to have a short sword wound in his skull. Rather than puckering in at the sight of the wound, the skin and bone around it seemed to have been pushed from the inside out, rather than the outside in, as was normal with a puncture wound. It was almost as if the blade had expanded from within the skull, rather than plunging through it. Even more intriguing was the decay rate of the bodies that had been wounded by the dagger. They were much farther along in the decomposition process, as though they had been dead for a ten-day. 
while the bodies untouched by dagger wounds could not have been lying in the ditch for more than two or three days. Yet all the bodies were jumbled together, as though they all perished in the same conflict. The bodies that decayed at a normal rate had various wounds from the large serrated blade, a rapier, and a crossbow. Some bore unmistakable signs of offensive magic. The burned flesh of two of the bodies was proof enough that there was at least one mage among the victors of this skirmish. Having exhausted the information his other senses might provide, he stilled his mind in preparation to open his eyes. He was alone on the Beacon's Highway. Lord Brilliant Akadim had cautioned all travel in the region after Lenriash had discovered and reported the destruction in Wildspring. The Lord Brilliant himself said he would lead a contingent of soldiers north to bring down the beast that had devastated the town. When Lenriesh asked if he should start pursuing the creature, Akadim had been adamant that he stay focused on eradicating the Grey Dawn's presence in the region. So Lenriesh did as he was commanded by the Lord Brilliant. Alone on the Beacon's Highway, he did not have to worry about any of the unclean viewing his radiant eyes. He used his water skin to thoroughly wash the filth that collected on his hands from examining the bodies. With reverence, he unwound the teliv. He removed the scarf from around his eyes, still keeping the lids firmly closed. When he had tucked the teliv into an inner pocket of his robes, he opened his eyes and felt the light of Hyksnos flood in and through him. Gasping at the rush of sensation, he struggled to master the deluge of light. The entire world blazed to life, shining in various and vibrant hues. Radiant sight was as far from ordinary vision as taste was from hearing. He saw the world illuminated. He saw the faint life energy exuded by the trees and animals of the singing wood. He saw darkness in the damp and decay of the forest floor. As he gazed down at the gray dawn corpses in the ditch, he could see the stain of their deeds tinting the light that reflected off of them. Clinging to and emanating from the bodies were also unmistakable signs of magic. Tendrils of wild-touched magic swirled and spun above two of the bodies. Wounds caused by the large serrated blade exuded a faint radiance, similar to the light that the sheathed blade at his own waist produced. This was curious, as it meant the blade must have been made for the service of Hyksnos and the Empire. Most likely, the man wielding it was unaware of the powers it had, or these faint traces would be shining much brighter. The bodies, that had decayed abnormally quickly, gave off other signs of magic. Small tendrils of crackling energy seemed to emanate from the wounds caused by the dagger. This must be the dagger the Grey Dawn had been searching for. It appeared to be a powerful magic weapon. This source of magic was unfamiliar to Lenriesh. He stared at it for quite some time, memorizing the distinct signature. Most perplexing was that the same type of crackling energy emanated from the abnormal short sword wound in the head of one of the corpses. Both short sword and dagger seemed to be imbued with a similar magic effect. Lenriesh could not be sure what that effect was from the signature that it left behind. It seemed, however, to be related to the magic energy that powered the ancient dwarven gyroscope that turned in the heart of Ban Kuldir. Scant records existed about the gyroscope, and he had never been allowed to examine the unique artifact up close. 
Lord Zilladim had blocked his every request under the pretense that his scholars needed unrestricted access to study the device. Frustratingly, Lenriesh had also not been allowed to see the scholars' notes on their findings. Perhaps it was time to petition Lord Reflector Hazadim to supersede his son's order. If he could find the lost Greydon dagger, perhaps Lenriesh could have enough evidence to convince the old dwarf of his need for more information. He raised his forearm to just under his chin. Bound tightly to the arm was a thin clay tile, heavily inscribed with runes. Each of these runes gave off a faint and distinct illumination to his radiant gaze. He opened himself and felt the runes tugging at his strength as the enchanted tile drained a small amount of energy from him. Closing his eyes once more and bracing for the shock of returning to darkness, he began to report his findings to the relay station this tile was connected to. He would ensure that Lord Brilliant Akadim would get his message. Though Lenriesh might well cross paths with Akadim and his contingent on their way north to slay the creature that destroyed Wildspring, barring any new orders from the Lord Brilliant, Lenriesh would continue south, back towards Bonkuldir, pursuing the dagger and answers from the one who wielded it. Thanks for letting us experiment with our format. This next chapter, like all others, will be completely improvised. Chapter 16 The Vessel Dimitri, you feel yourself lifted into a pair of massive arms that carry you down a narrow hallway, and the orc kind of chuckles as you mumble to yourself and you drift further off into sleep and don't even feel him set you down onto a narrow cot because you've drifted into a dream, but a dream that is so visceral and so real that as you stagger, getting to your feet, you lean against a tree, feeling all of the ridges in the bark. It's twilight in a place that's all too familiar to you. And as you look around you, you see the familiar charcoal black trees with metallic leaves, plants and animals that you recognize as only from the wild surround you. And as you turn on the spot, searching, trying to find some landmark that you might recognize you see a faint glow of what looks like tiny pinpricks of starlight seated next to a silver pond. And you hear a familiar voice say, Come. Your head is surprisingly clear despite the ice wine that you just drank. And you feel a sense of dread and disapproval and anger pour over you as this voice resonates and thrums from everything around you. As you move closer to the source of light, your voice feels so feeble. Hi. After this thing's sonorous, overlapping chords and resounding tones, you slowly make your way to the bank of this mirror-smooth silver pool and sit down 
next to what you know as the vessel. Long time no see. Indeed, Dimitri. We gave you a mission and you have failed us. Did you know that those soldiers destroyed the creature? I assume they would. If only I could have made another portal to bring it back. But I'm limited with my tool set. Complaining about the gift that we gave you. I think it's a wonderful gift. Don't get me wrong. But the situation has changed. Yes. The situation has changed indeed. can no longer afford to lavish this power on you. You have failed for the last time, Dimitri. You must return to your mundane life. No. You would defy us? What have I got to lose? I'm not going back to that life. I have purpose. I've seen things. I can't forget what I know magically unless you wipe my brain. And if we squashed you like an insect, what then? You'd have one less ally working for you. One less person that actually cares about this world. And good luck convincing anyone over there now to help you. I've met those people. I've been around those people. And I've met a few that are okay. And they're trying to help me. I'm trying to get them to help us. But most of those people would rather see me dead. And good luck finding someone else. I'm all you got and you know it. So instead of giving me a bunch of survivalist techniques, a bunch of ways to turn into a nice little horse to carry a a, a fair maiden into the village, or a way to cast a spell to turn a puddle of water into a gate that I can't do for another 10 days? Are you out of your mind? Sovacene is out there bringing in creatures from Batoon to cause chaos over there, to cause fear in those people, because that's what Batoon wants, isn't it? And that's what we want to stop, right? We don't want that big snake or that nasty, ugly man coming out here causing chaos over here and destroying us, isn't that right? You haven't told me anything about what I'm really here for other than to protect this wonderful place that I love so much more than I love you, you useless, weird creature that gave me this power and don't 
get me wrong. I am appreciative of you plucking me out of my little life in the middle of nowhere. I do appreciate that from you. But you basically gave me a stick and said, why don't you go make a fire and I'm five years old. I don't know what I'm doing out there. And as far as I can tell and as much as I have learned is that spells that work every now and then and turning into a horse or an alligator or whatever the hell else you taught me to do doesn't mean anything out there when Sovacene, who on the dark half of this world is learning clearly from Batoon or someone else how to bring these creatures over and cast spells. Did you know they confronted me and tried to get me to switch sides? Where were you for that? Where were you when I needed you? You useless being, you stupid little creature. I ought to rip your head off. Enough. We. has been going on for longer than you can fathom. gestures with one of its hands that appears to be made of motes of starlight. This With your life, with 
The power we can give you. Of course. Of course I will. And not only that, I have allies now. And I have a purpose. I have a direction. I just need a better set of tools. Very well. Give us your staff. Dimitri hands it over. You can see the creature take it in its long, spindly fingers, and it almost looks like a small baton in its enormous grasp. And it grasps both ends, and you can hear the wood creak and shift. And you see the starlight that this creature seems to be made out of dim slightly for just a moment. And you can see the staff flood with energy as it bends it ever so slightly into a curved shape. And as it lets go, the staff remains in that shape. And it says... We will teach you how to shoot this bow. You are no longer a shepherd. You are now a soldier in this Eternal war. Will you accept that responsibility? Yes. Then follow. And the creature gets up and starts to walk toward the daylight side all the while explaining and imparting magical knowledge to you. Unknown secrets, facets of this new power that you've been granted, this morphed power that you've been given. You spend time training, and as the vessel passes the bow back to you, you cautiously draw at where there should be a string and you feel resistance but you also feel a magical energy form between your index and middle finger as you pull back on the bow you're barely able to release crackling magical energy as it shoots forward it splits a trap in half and the vessel nods to you and says Training to do with this thing. We can slow 
the passage of time for you in the other world. Learn. Practice. For when you face our enemies, you must defeat them. I won't miss. And Dimitri, you spend what feels like days, although you don't have the cycle of sun here to measure the passage of time. And those days turn into what feels like seasons as your hair starts to grow down to your shoulders and a rough beard forms around your chin. You don't sleep. You don't need to, not in the wild. You eat of the plants, you hunt some of the creatures using these new powers that you've been granted, this bow that you've been granted by the vessel. You study and train and your wiry form becomes more muscular as each day you're able to pull the magic out of this bow a little bit farther and you start to learn new things you can do with it different spells and abilities that you never thought possible that you would have never dreamed possible when you were just changing into animal shapes and while that power seems lost to you now you don't regret that loss because like the vessel said, you are no longer a shepherd. You are now a soldier. And as seasons have passed for you in this wild place, the vessel teaching you much, he pauses your training as you make three quick shots into the trunk of a tree in the exact same place. It kneels down and places one of its ethereal hands on your shoulder and says, Oi. Think you are ready? What say you? Oh yeah. I'm thinking I'm ready. And then return And bring back your companions. You will need them for this fight. But we warn you, Dimitri. again we will end you sure thing big guy very well and it takes its hand 
and brushes it gently over your eyes. And you wake up in a narrow cot in a darkened room to the sounds of a standing ovation several rooms over. And that's where we'll leave the adventure for now. This is your host, Daniel Storm. Thank you for listening to the RPG Radio Show. We need your help. Reviews are incredibly important for new shows like ours. Reviews let other potential listeners know that our show is worth listening to. If your preferred podcast platform allows it, please leave us a review. Your kind words will go a long way towards helping others find our show. Looking for more adventure in Sildum? We have awesome content available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. Check out our guide to Bon Kuldir. Each ring of the city has detailed taverns, shops, and characters. The City Guide, a map of Sildum, bloopers from past episodes, and much more are available at patreon.com slash rpgradioshow. All your support goes to improving our show, and even the smallest amount makes a difference. We're currently striving to meet a support goal that would enable us to release weekly episodes. Visit patreon.com slash rpgradioshow to find out more. Thank you for listening and for your support. We'll meet you back in Sildum in a couple weeks. Now, stay tuned for a message from another friendly podcast. Adventure, laughter, and a complete disregard for the rules. From Afar Podcast is a Dungeons & Dragons 5e actual play podcast with a focus on roleplay, making goofs, and storytelling. Join us aboard the Sea Monster for hijinks on the high seas as a diverse party searches for the fabled lost city of Atlantis. Find us on all major podcast platforms and on social media at From Afar Podcast. Come aboard the Sea Monster and join these four friends separated by distance but brought together through adventure.